Did you know that we've had more earthquakes, more tsunamis, more tornadoes, more hurricanes in the last decade than we had in the previous 30 years before that? Naturally speaking, things are getting increasingly worse. I would argue that socially speaking, things are getting increasingly worse. And I don't mean the fact that there's so many weirdos who show up at house parties and they're really awkward. Not like that. I mean bigger, the bigger picture. People are, you know, this is a kind of a blanketed statement, but people are quicker to anger, uh, less patience, less kind, uh, more easily offended than ever before, and it seems to be getting worse, and eventually it has to come to a head. Something's gonna happen. There's a quiet rumbling. I can feel it. I know you feel it. Things just, they're just different than they used to be. It's not like the, the days back when I used to just go to grandma's and everything was quiet. Nowadays, you just feel like some shit's on the rise. This is volume 22 of the Ben Again podcast for Wednesday, December 26, 2018. On this day in history, a tsunami wreaks havoc on Southeast Asia. On the day after Christmas in 2004, a massive undersea earthquake occurred just off the coast of Indonesia at a few minutes before 8 a.m. Local time, that's important. Local time. Not any other time, local time. With a magnitude of 9.3. 9.3 on the Richter scale. Well, according to this, I, I was just going to pull from my own mind. I was going to say that's the biggest. But according to this, it is the second largest ever recorded. It killed an estimated 230,000 people. I like how they, they estimate that to the nearest thousand. They're not going to fuck around with hundreds. Because if it was 130 people, that doesn't matter. 230,000. It wreaked untold devastation on a wide swath. Nice. <laughs> nice word usage. A nice wide swath of coastline from Somalia on the East African coast to a place called Sumatra. Not familiar. It is in Southeast Asia. Well, the epicenter of an earthquake... This is interesting. The epicenter of an earthquake, if you don't know what that is, that is the place on the Earth's surface directly above the rupture of the initial earthquake. So underground, right where the plates split or wherever there's a rupture in the ground that causes an earthquake, directly above that on the ground is the epicenter. And they say that in the eye of a storm, of like a tsunami, that's the safest place to be because it's like quiet and calm in there. Yeah, you don't want to be in the epicenter of the eye of an earthquake. It's not quite the same experience. You're going to be moving around a bit. Things are going to be falling. <clears throat> I wondered, up until I had a discussion about this, about what I mentioned earlier, about how the natural disasters seem to be just increasing, you constantly hear about wildfires, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes. You just, you constantly fucking hear about it. It's like every other day. And I don't, I didn't remember hearing about it this much when I was a child. And I thought maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Maybe I didn't give a fuck when I was a kid. But really, statistically, I'm right. In the last 10 years, there have been more natural disasters than in the previous, okay, the article is in 2017. So it could be, you could read it as 30 or 40 years prior to the last 10 years. Goodness gracious. Is it just coincidence that things are getting worse? And that people are getting worse? Maybe. According to the Bible, the good book, this is, this is gonna happen. This is supposed to happen. 
a lot of people believe, a lot of Christians believe, that we are nearing a seven-year period called the Tribulation. It is a seven-year period in which shit gets really rough. I urge you to read the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation, or both. They, they kind of, they're my two favorite. When I hear stories about Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark and Noah's 600 years old and he brought two of every animal on, I'm like, yeah, okay. A 600-year-old guy brought two of every animal onto a boat to survive and then repopulated the earth from there. Okay, cool. That stuff doesn't really interest me. But what does interest me are the stories in the Bible that are prophetic in nature. The ones that you can tie to current events. The King of the North, which defeats the, the King of the South. And they, they have all these metaphors and symbolism. And you can, you can line these up without sacrificing a lot of silliness. You can line up the stories. Jesus said, as a sign of his coming and the end of the age, there would be an increase in deception, false Christs who will deceive many, wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, Christian persecution, apostasy, false prophets, lawlessness, causing the love of many to grow cold. Jesus said all of these signs would come like birth pains. He was likening the last day's events to a woman in labor. As the labor progresses, the pains increase in both frequency and intensity until the baby finally comes. As we get closer to Jesus' return, all the signs he gave us as a sign of his coming and the end of the age will become more frequent and more intense. All of these signs are manifesting around the world in our time. Which one of those isn't true? Which one of those is not true? I believe that's from the book of Matthew. I'm, don't quote me on that. I'm just... I'm just guessing, but it's, I believe it is. Regardless, which one of those is not true? Uh, famines? Is not a certain percentage of the world starving? Uh, wars? Have we not been at war almost every year that we've been a country? Not speaking for other countries. Rumors of wars? Don't you hear about the potential wars on the news? Don't you hear about, oh, they might be getting into it. A, a plane was shot out of the sky and now they're angry and, you know... Pestilences? Don't you hear about those? Don't you? I don't remember the rest of it. I put, I put the quote down. But you hear about all that stuff constantly, and it makes you think, maybe this Bible stuff has something, you know, maybe it has something going for it. Could just be coincidence that these things that were written down thousands of years ago seem to be coming true, right? And lawlessness causing the love of many to grow cold. That one, that one sticks out because I feel like People are, they're growing cold. People aren't as loving as they used to be, you know? Nowadays, Christmas is like literally 50% Black Friday shopping. Or no, that's Thanksgiving. Christmas. What, what, what fucks up Christmas? The fact that everybody just wants to get the day over with and get drunk? Thanksgiving's a great example, though. People are more excited about Black Friday shopping where they can go pummel everybody and run everybody over to save $20 on a TV than they are about actually having the meal with their family. It never used to be that way. I had uh, Christmas at Taylor's family's house this year. I was supposed to go down to my mother's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but like she never got back to me. We were discussing it, and we were discussing when I would come down there and all this other stuff, and then she just she never answered. So it didn't happen. So I ended up staying up here. Uh, it was a good time. I like Taylor's family. They're a lot closer than my family. My family, we, we uh, share some last names, but that's about it. 
And then on my mom's side, it's not much different. What do you do? Narcissism is another one of those, uh, none of, another one of the things that is brought up in the uh, prophecies of the end times. People will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, swindlers, liars, deceitful. Uh, they'll they'll uh, struggle with fidelity, loyalty, I guess. And you do see that. You can't you can't fucking go anywhere without seeing some chick taking selfies of herself. That phone might as well be a mirror. They're just constantly admiring themselves. It's strange to me. People are strange. But you know something about mirrors. I think mental illness aside, for these people that are, are super narcissistic and just can't stop staring at themselves, it, all that aside, mirrors really are, are innocent in this. And I used to like mirrors. I used to be a, a really good looking dude. Like when I was 17 to 21, I was like physically jacked and muscular and had a full head of hair and I was tan. I think I liked mirrors a lot more back then than I do now. Now if I'm getting in the shower, I look away from the mirror. I'm like, ugh, don't look at that. <laughs> I don't know why. It's weird. Because I don't give a fuck. If I gave a fuck, I would do something about it. I just think it's it's weird. I'm not vain. I guess I used to be vain because I used to be like these people. Except I don't take hundreds of selfies and I'm not constantly trying to get attention on social medias by going, here's a picture of me. It's like, don't forget about me today. That's what they're doing when they're doing that. When they upload selfies, they're like, here's me. I know it's Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody. Here's a picture of me. Smiling. Selfie. Hmm. <laughs> so I heard about this thing recently. Um, I don't know if it's like widely renowned or if it's an actual medical experiment or what, but this guy was giving a small lecture on what he called a dopamine fast. Now, for those who don't know, dopamine is one of the three main feel-good chemicals that our brain produces. There's dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. These three things make you feel good, and your brain regulates these chemicals. If you produce them in a mass quantity in a short amount of time, you'll experience what's called euphoria. Just, you just feel happy. You just feel good. A lot of drugs do these. But the, the problem with drugs, drug-induced euphoria, is we eventually develop a tolerance to these things. And that's why I thought it was interesting that this guy was talking about what he called a dopamine fast. And he explained it like this. Once every three or four months, he does a dopamine fast. Um, our brain is essentially a machine and the machine's job is to filter through and identify and sort this essentially non-stop feedback. We are just constantly being stimulated by outside things. You see a person you know, you see a something that you read in a book once, you, you think you saw a movie, you see an animal that looks like your dog. We just, we have constant stream of information that our brain has to sort of mm, go through. I don't know, filter. I don't know what the word is. Essentially, our brain is, is working 24-7. And that's why we are so easily bored. Because we are so accustomed to a 
constant stream of information and feedback that our brain can work on that as soon as it gets quiet what do we do we pick up our phone we turn on the TV we start surfing the web we scroll through Facebook whatever we do this because we don't want to be bored and we are very easily bored and when you do these things you get a very very small amount of dopamine serotonin oxytocin and it's like a slow drip it's like being on a drip in the hospital where they attach it to your uh, what the fuck I can't even think of that I, I'm getting Alzheimer's because I just can't think of things like I used to I think it's too much head trauma okay your IV when they put an IV in you they'll put some solution in there like saline to keep you hydrated they'll monitor your your hydration levels etc but they can also add things to your IV slow drip like painkillers and whatnot well anyway when we are constantly stimulating our brain it, it feels good, but not good enough to go, oh, that felt good. It, it's basically a maintaining level. And his idea is that if we do a dopamine fast once in a while, where we do it a full 24 hours, no TV, no books, no reading, no internet, no movies, no TV shows, nothing. The only thing you can do is exercise and do chores, like do the dishes, no music, nothing. And for 24 hours, that will reset our brain, he thinks. And I don't know if he's a doctor or if he's a philosopher or whatever. He, he sounded intelligent. And he said, I feel great the next day. I feel refreshed. I sleep great. And then I appreciate these stimuli more, these things that I have been putting into my head, this uh, social media, movies, shows, uh, memes, depending on what your thing is, if you like to read. I appreciate these things much more. That's interesting to me because... I don't know if I have clinical ADD or if I'm just a normal person and I don't have an attention span, but I can try to sit on the couch with no TV, no Facebook, no phone, no internet, no music. I don't last five minutes. I'm, I'm going insane. I'm like, I need to be stimulated. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> it's weird. Humans have become this way, and it's been in a very short time. I don't think 50 years ago our grandpas or a hundred years ago, our great-grandpas, whatever, were going, oh, I just, I'm so bored. They're like, no, they fucking, they worked. They watched maybe 20 minutes of their black and white ass shit TV. And they made sweet love to their wives, our great-grandmas and grandmas. Hashtag respect. And that's it. And they were completely, not only content, but happy. My theory is the fact that we have so much at our fingertips as far as information and the ability to not be an ignorant douche that it's actually having the reverse effect. I, I haven't run any studies. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I just think that nonstop information is, is ultimately a bad thing because then as soon as we don't have something to keep our mind busy, we experience boredom. And as I've discussed in the past, boredom is interpreted in our brain the same way that pain is, except there is no sort of physical effect. It's just, it's painful to be bored. Interesting. I might try a dopamine fast. I don't know. 24 hours without anything. Apparently it resets you and makes you sort of appreciate things more. Just food for thought. I don't know. Taste aversion is, if you don't know, if you're not a psychology 
uh, fan like myself, when you eat something and you enjoy it, you may eat it again. When you eat something and you have a negative experience with it, whether you get sick, you get food poisoning, you really don't like the taste, you don't like the texture, you develop rather quickly what's called taste aversion. It means just the thought of enjoying that or putting that same food in your mouth again or that same drink makes you, makes you feel almost ill. That is because your brain is protecting you. Your brain goes, no, no, we tried that. That's not good. And it doesn't have to be poisonous. It can just be gross. You don't have to get food poisoning. You can develop what's called taste aversion to certain foods. I have that with broccoli because one time when I was 13 years old, I worked at a Chinese restaurant. I was washing dishes. And at the end of every night, I got to take all the food from the buffet that I wanted and got to take it home because it was either that or they threw it out. So I would take the pans from the buffet table and I would just basically make a little buffet miniature one and take one pan home, whether it was egg rolls or General Tso's chicken or whatever. And one night I just took home a whole pan of broccoli and chicken and whatever else was in that shit. And it had been sitting there like all day. And I got home and I of course had the munchies. So I pigged out and I ate the entire pan. And I woke up at like 2 a.m. I was diarrhea-ing, is that a word? I was diarrhea-ing, you know what I mean. I was shitting like a, <laughs> I was shitting. And I was also puking, I was so sick, and I, my body was shaking, and I could not puke and shit enough. And I, I, I've never been that sick to this day in my life. I couldn't even stand up. I was shaking, vomiting, shitting my pants like pure water, and I, not only could I not go to work that day, I had to call in. Actually, I had my dad do it because I was in bed, but I, I thought I was gonna die. I got so sick. I was shaking and had the cold sweats, and I couldn't sleep because I was so sick, so I just laid in bed. I think I was in bed for like 20 hours. So I developed an aversion to broccoli. Now I can only have like cheesy broccoli. I can't have like steamed or anything near what, what I had back then. That's taste aversion. And the reason I bring this up is I believe that the overstimulation of information is causing us to have a tolerance to this nonstop stimulation, this nonstop stream, this, this feedback. And I believe there is some sort of aversion happening there. Maybe that's why we are easily bored with things that really shouldn't make us bored or didn't used to make us bored. I don't know. Just a theory. Food for thought. I also watched a thing. A thing. Could I be any dumber? A, a documentary. A thing. There's a lot of things. I watched a thing, okay? Sometimes, even if you're not a dumb person, you can sound dumb by your word choices. If you say, I watched a thing, they're going to go, okay, what are you, for? What did you watch? I watched a documentary. People were describing their near-death experiences. Some of these people might be full of shit. Some of them might have, you know, really thought that they had a near-death experience. I don't know. And I've never had a near-death experience. But most commonly, in all of the stories, almost all of the stories, in, in most of the stories, people describe a bright light. 
and religious people automatically go towards the the fantastic they go oh that was god that was jesus the bright light was jesus atheists might say no when your brain shuts off the reconnection there's a bit of a, a white flash and that's what doctors say too when when you're knocked out like a ufc fighter and they wake up and they say they they say they saw lights they're not just talking about the lights in the arena when your brain disconnects and reconnects it's been studied and shown over time that with the effect of being knocked out you kind of get this power back on flash of light and that's what a lot of people who explain their quote-unquote near-death experiences describe is a flash of light a bright light oh it was God's hand okay well maybe maybe it was I'm, I'm not saying yes or no but it's more likely and sounds more possible to me that it might just be like your brain shut off temporarily and when it reconnected you had that little spark sort of like when you plug in a cord to an outlet well anyway these near-death experiences they're just that they are near death you can't report death once you're dead you're gone they claim some kind of consciousness one guy said he saw all black and described it as quiet and dark but if he's telling the truth that just proves he's still conscious because black and dark and quiet and lights and these things that these people are describing are things you have to be conscious to experience and describe things as for the dead they are conscious of nothing that's in the Bible as well and whether you believe that there's an afterlife or not if you're religious or not as for the dead they are conscious of nothing if, if, you, if you have no brain activity no heartbeat no pulse if you're not alive you, you can't experience things so these these near-death experiences I don't buy into them quietness is a human it's a made-up thing you won't find that in nature it can be quiet in nature but no animal goes I am experiencing quietness or I am experiencing dark colors and visions and feelings and that's that's not real these these people I don't think they're full of shit I think that they are just it's not a near-death experience is what I'm getting at I don't know what you think what you think <clears throat> you know when you're an addict and you go to like AA or uh, NA narcotics anonymous I believe that's what it is and you have to self-identify yourself as a an addict even if you haven't used in how many years you can go 20 years without doing some without taking a drink say you're an alcoholic well you used to be and you haven't drank in 20 years if you go to AA meetings you still have to go I'm Ben I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict and that to me is weird I've always thought that was weird but I didn't have a name for it I didn't have uh, I didn't have a label for it it was always weird but now I have recently found out because of a podcast I listen to a lot of those that that's what's called the disease model of addiction and there are different models of addiction and it, whether it's drugs alcohol food you can be addicted to a lot of things but certain people uh, namely uh, psychologists and people who are running these meetings they follow what's called the uh, disease model and it's the one where they're basically saying even if you don't use the fact that you used to use or you used to drink 
you are an alcoholic, you are an addict. See, I don't see that. I see it as once you stop until you do it again, you're no longer an addict. You know what I mean? If I'm an alcoholic for 10 years, I stop for two years. Am I an alcoholic for those two years because I haven't had a single drink? So how am I an alcoholic? Or if, or if you're on crack and you've smoked all of your teeth completely out of your mouth. <laughs> We've all seen them and you're mumbling and you're like, rah, 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 rah. are you still an addict if you are clean for five years? That's weird. It almost seems like the disease model is meant to at least mentally keep people in a position of inferiority. Even though I've not done anything wrong for five years, I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a Dewey because I haven't drank. I'm an alcoholic. It's weird to me. That's why it's called the disease model, I think. It's comparable to the once a cheater, always a cheater. And I am a firm believer in the once a cheater, always a cheater theory. The theory suggests that once you have proven at any point in time in your life that you are willing to cheat on your significant other, this means you will always be a cheater. And this is different than the disease model of addiction because when I say once a cheater, always a cheater, I'm not saying that you are guaranteed to cheat on your significant other again if you do it the first time. What I'm saying is, I would argue, that you have a disposition, a predisposition to doing it again more so than someone who has never cheated before. Cheating is not an accident. It's not a mistake. You can't go, oh, I messed up. No, you didn't. If you're fully conscious and you do this, you didn't trip and fall on his dick. You know, it wasn't, oh no, oh, 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 might as well suck this while I'm down here. Oh, it's not like that. You were fully conscious, you made a decision. If you have any regret in you at all, if you're human, you can admit that, but it still was not a mistake or an accident or, you know, cheating is a character flaw. It's like, would you punch an old lady? Yes, then you're a piece of shit. Would you cheat? Yes, then you're a piece of shit. It's a character flaw. We all have choices that we can make. And if we make good choices, you know, actively makes you a good person. You make bad choices, bad person. You're a bad person. There's not really any more to it than that. So I've known many people, actually, six or seven that I can think of off the top of my head, many people who have cheated on somebody. It doesn't mean they are overall a bad person. It just means I'd never date that person. That's for sure. I'm really not into the cheating scene. But I've known way more people who have been cheated on. And it seems to me that the people who have been cheated on and given second chances or third chances are only going to be let down again. And not always. There are some people who are good people who cheated and I don't know why at the time they felt they had to have another penis in them or another vagina on their face, you know, depending on which of the 76 genders we are discussing here. But they have shown not to ever do it again afterwards. So it can be forgiven, right? As long as you, you know, do it twice. Once a cheater, always a cheater. I don't know. What do you think? Would you date somebody who, uh, okay, say you meet this person. It's a guy or a girl and you go, you get to know him a little better and then you're like considering dating, you're starting to hang out more, and then they go, okay, uh, full disclosure, let's be transparent here, I've been in two relationships, I cheated on both of them. Would you still date that person? Fuck no, I wouldn't. Ladies, you meet this guy, he's cute, he doesn't seem like a player, you start hanging out, you decide to be exclusive, 
go steady, as they used to say back in the day. And then he goes, oh yeah, the reason why I was engaged, but now I'm not anymore is because uh, I cheated. And uh, then I had another girlfriend after that and I cheated on her, so that's why I'm single. Yeah, I swear there's no other girl, it's just me and you. Would you still date that guy? I wouldn't date that guy. I'd, I'd rather date somebody who's an alcoholic or a drug addict because at least that can be fixed. Cheating isn't really an addiction, you know, it's, it's a character flaw. That's like just choosing to date somebody who's overall mean and mean-spirited and just vindictive. Would you ever date somebody who's going to bring your day down just because they, I don't know, I don't know what it is. There's got to be some sort of factor because it's a very negative thing that comes with them, but to not have the uh, conscience, you know, to not have the conscience to, to go, yeah, that was wrong, and just, I don't know how people do it. And then on, on top of that, they'll lie straight to the, the, the face of their SO, their significant other, when they are questioned about it. Like, how are you... When I take somebody's pen, I feel guilty, you know? It's a stupid example, but really it does illustrate the way my brain works. I feel terrible. One time I scammed a guy on a video game, and I couldn't sleep for like three days. I, I sold him something, and then he gave me the money, and after I had the money, I took the thing back that I sold him in-game. I took it back. So now I had my money back and his and the thing. I had the money and the thing. And for like three days, I was laying in bed going, geez, I'm an asshole, because you know, video games are just games, I get it, but for a lot of people, that's their hobby, their passion, it's what they look forward to when they wake up. There are a lot of, they're called gamers. And I felt like I took that away from the dude, and it took a long time to make that much money, you know? And so, that's just how my brain works. I could never cheat on somebody. I don't like fucking people over. And speaking of those games, like um, World of Warcraft and RuneScape and all these, uh, these MMORPG games, you know what I've fucking noticed? If you have a really good account, like you're max level, you have really good gear, you've clearly spent some time in-game, people are very quick to say, Oh, you fucking no life? You have no life. Clearly your account is way better than mine, so you have no life. But if you have a really newbie, low-level account with basic gear, then you're a noob. So you can't fucking win. You walk up, like, you're level 5, and they're like, Ha, noob, you fucking suck. Then you walk up, and you're, like, level 120. And they're like, oh, you must have no life. Like, what level am I supposed to be? God damn it. Because if I'm 80, that's noob. You know, if I'm 90, that's noob. You can't win. And I feel like that is a great metaphor, a great analogy for life. You're a giant nerd if you spend lots of time gaming. But if you don't, you're boring. You know, you can apply that. You can conject that to a lot of things in life. There I go, using that word again. Things. How creative do you have to not be to replace a lot of nouns and pronouns with just the word thing when you could just say it? Game, work, you know, whatever. Thing. I gotta stop doing that. <laughs> Excuse me. I still have cotton mouth from yesterday. <clears throat> As I was <coughs> talking with a friend of mine about uh, previous relationships, it made me not only realize, but fully remember that I do reminisce from time to time about previous relationships. 
And a lot of people, I feel like they, they close the door. Once a relationship is over, they're like, fuck the memories, fuck all that, nope, done. They, they close the door, they're like, moving on. I don't know if it's because my relationships have all been a minimum of three years. Like, I've had four girlfriends. The shortest one was three years. So basically, all of them have been long-term relationships. And so there's a lot of emotion and feeling invested in that from both sides, I would hope. So for me, I don't know if I can just completely 100% fade to black on these relationships. I feel like I still reminisce from time to time, even though they were different chapters of my life. Now, I don't reminisce like Adele does. I don't write songs about them and wish that I was still with them, and I don't, you know, complain about them like Taylor Swift does and write songs about them, and um, Ariana Grande is like, thank you, next. She writes, they're all writing songs, you know. <laughs> Instead, I, I just reminisce, just for brief moments of days here or there. I will think about them and think about the memories. Well, well, for three out of four of them anyway, one was a total cunt, and I wish nothing but the worst for her and I would unplug her life support to charge my iPhone. That's a fact. But for three out of four of them, they were great people. Hillary, Ashley, Taylor, great individuals, big hearts, big boobs for, you know, not one of them, but, you know, the other... Anyway, <laughs> good people. And so despite things ending not great, you know, ending on a sour note, and obviously you, you don't really end things on a good note because then you wouldn't be ending. If things were great, you wouldn't go, let's just call it quits here. This is a good place to stop. We don't need to date anymore. So they really, they, they ended on sour notes, right? That's why we're not together anymore. But that doesn't mean that they are not good people. And at the time I was angry, you know, there's a certain level of pride involved in relationships. And so you kind of got to swallow that and admit that it didn't work out, something that you thought would work out. You invested a lot of time, love, energy, everything, etc. Your, your life resources that you poured into these relationships didn't work out. So if you can get past the pride and the anger and the childish insults that you say at the time to each other, you, and then you just realize, well, that's a person that I would not have spent so much time with had they not been so great. Well, that's what I realize as I get older. Anyway, I, I still reminisce from time to time about them. I wish them well. I have no idea what they're up to, who they're with, or anything like that. I don't, I don't keep up. I haven't talked with them in a long time. But I do wish them well. And in the chapter of my life that they were a part of, uh, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have traded it for anybody else, despite things not working out. Now, uh, they say don't live with regrets. I live with dozens of regrets. There are things that I would change every day. There are things that I, I, I wish I could change. So it's silly. I can't even imagine what living without regrets must feel like because I regret half the decisions in my life. Easily. But those are not some of them. I If I could go back in time, I would still be with Hillary, Ashley, and Taylor. Not Betsy because she's a cunt. Hashtag cunt. But, yeah. Do you ever reminisce? Do you ever just sit and think about how things were when you were with him or her? It's weird. It's super weird. Because you were not the same person while you were with them as you are now. That person that was with her hadn't gone through that breakup yet. And breakups change you immensely. They change, they, they rewire your brain. Literally and figuratively, they change you. 
physiologically, emotionally, mentally. The, the Ben that was 21 years old and with Ashley hadn't experienced shit compared to the Ben that is sitting here today. So was I with her? Well, kinda, but not really. They say that every seven years, your cells are completely replaced, and that's a fact, except for neurons. Neurons are the only cells that you cannot, you know, make your body do this thing called neurogenesis, which is, uh, think about it, neurogenesis, brain growth, the, the, the new brain cell thing. Well, anyway, um, because our neurons are the only thing that aren't replaced every seven years, that's why we are able to maintain uh, memories for the most part. It's more complicated than this, but I'm dumbing it down. Your, your body physically changes, and aside from uh, adipose tissue that you just can't seem to get rid of, and uh, scar tissue that remind you that that accident really happened when you broke your arm, your body changes like 95% of its cellular makeup. <clears throat> and so, to me, I wasn't really with Ashley. I have memories of it, but I, ha I couldn't recall any... I don't remember the touch. I don't remember the, the feeling in the air. I just have, like, memories of, like, okay, we went to a concert, you know? It's all stored in my brain, and I can recall these things, but it's so weird. And, like, with Hillary, which was even further back, because I was 17 to 20 when I was with her, I remember enjoying myself thoroughly I remember a lot of things but we were 17 18 19 you know now I'm 29 that was 10 years ago now so really I have just these these very vague memories they're not vivid at all it's a strange thing but still I, I remember some things from high school and most of the things in high school I experienced with her so she's also kind of tied to that it's weird. It's weird stuff, memories. Because I, I obviously, I, sitting here today, was not with her. The ten years ago version of me was, and that version of me is nothing like me now. Uh, you know, molecularly speaking, and the things I had experienced at that point. I have a lot more wisdom now, although I was probably much more intelligent then. More sharp, more witty. I was in better shape physically. Weird. It's almost like she wasn't even with me, because... I mean, I'm still me, but, but I'm not, if that makes sense. I don't know how to explain it. <clears throat> you can only change yourself so much before it's not you anymore. And there's a paradox, the two ships paradox, and I'll explain it to you. It's relevant here, otherwise I would not offer it to you. You have a ship, and let's just say it's a wooden ship, and it's made from, for math's sake, 200 planks, 200 pieces of wood make up this wooden ship. Okay, so one plank, one piece at a time, we will replace the parts of this ship. So we take out one of the 200 pieces of wood and you put it over there, and then you replace it with another piece of wood that's brand new. And you do it again, and now you've replaced two parts, and again, and again, and again, and you just keep piling the old wood over in the other area. Okay, now you've taken out a hundred of the ship's planks and you've got a pile of a hundred old pieces of wood and you replaced it with new ones and you keep going and then all of a sudden 199 of the 200 planks are new and not the original ship and you've got one less left and then you take the last one you replace the final 
wooden plank from this ship of, of its original, you know, makeup, and you put it over in the pile. Now you take the 200 original planks that you have replaced from this ship and you build a new ship with it. Which ship is the original ship? Is it your original ship, which now is comprised of not a single piece of wood from its original makeup, or is the original ship all of the parts that you took apart and rebuilt? That's the paradox, because technically you replaced one piece at a time with new wood and you've still got your original ship over there and you just discarded all this this other wood and you rebuilt it but technically that one is also the original ship it's kinda like that technically I'm me but so much of me has been replaced almost more than once now at this point that that really wasn't me anymore and I've experienced a lot of shit that that guy had never experienced and it's going to continue on this way they say roughly every seven years they being people who are much more intelligent than you and I it's interesting stuff. Whenever I get like an ingrown whisker or an ingrown hair on my face, I will fucking dig at that thing with tweezers, with a whatever, with a knife. I get I get crazy. I'll, I'll dig that hair out. I'll leave a scar on my face because I'm not willing to have that bump on my face from a hair never poking through the skin. You don't want to have like this. It looks like a mosquito bite. If you have an ingrown hair, and it never surfaces, so you can never like clear it out or never get the hair out, never like get that buildup out. You're just gonna have this weird bump, right? And I don't want that on my face. I'd rather have a scar. So I'll stab it, I'll squeeze it, I'll poke at it, I'll get that hair out. And I always have like these dark marks where I was like digging at this, trying to get this ingrown hair out or this ingrown whisker, and I'll, it'll be bleeding, it'll have like scar tissue, and I'll be like, damn, that's going to leave a scar forever. And in three weeks, it's fucking gone. It's like it was never there. It's super strange. Now, I'm no Wolverine. I'm just a basic dude. But to me, how deeply do you have to scar yourself for it to be there forever? Because I do have scars that are forever, like when I broke my leg and my arm. I have a scar on my back from my back surgeries. But I've scarred myself many times where it lasts for a few weeks or a month or two. And I'm like, holy shit, I have this ugly thing on my face now. And then you just wake up one day and it's starting to fade and starting to fade and then it's gone. Weird, right? <clears throat> Moving on. 42 minutes? Okay. We're going we're gonna to riff for another 15 minutes here. Why do girls claim to want big, huge dicks when they will push away the six-inchers? You know what I mean, fellas? When, when, when the topic of does size matter comes up, girls, most girls will be honest and say, yeah, I want a fucking huge dick. I'd love to have a fucking monster cock. That's why that's what's in porns. Because that's, at least visually speaking, a turn-on. And psychologists, sex psychologists, would argue that it's not necessarily the fact that they want to have a 12-inch Pringles can inside of them. It's more so a visual thing. Like, the bigger the cock they have, it's like more sexy and more of a turn-on. It doesn't necessarily feel better having a dick up in your lungs. Which makes sense. I, I, would, I would agree with that. I would believe that that's a, a valid argument. But why are so many girls... Because you hear about it all the time. Girls break up with a guy over having a small dick, or they, they cheat on a guy because he has a small dick, or they're, they're, they just want to have huge cocks. Yet, if you're a dude with like a normal six or seven inch dick, a normal white dude, 
you can bang a girl. And if you get going too hard or too deep, they'll push back. They'll be like, ah, too deep. Okay, so if I have a sixer and you're pushing me back because that was too deep or it hurt, then how are you going to turn around and go, ooh, that's a big 10-inch cock. I'd love that. What are you going to do with it? You're going to draw it? You're just going to have him sit in the room with his big hog right there and then you're going to draw him like Jack drew Rose on the Titanic? What are you planning to do with it? Why do so many girls want a giant monster hog, hogoso, when they can't even handle it? It doesn't make sense to me. That'd be like me saying, I want a vagina so tight that I can't even put my wiener in it. People would be like, uh, why? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. I sort of resent the fact that girls are so into size just being an average white guy here. We're looking at about 6.5. And I've even had a girlfriend, I will not tell you which one, you have a one in four guess of which one this was. But when I first got with her, I was asking her about dick size. I don't know how it got brought up. I didn't just show up to pick her up and I'm like, hey, so about dick size. No, it was like, it was worked into a conversation. It wasn't just brought up out of nowhere. But I was like, so what do you think? Like, what's, you know, a lot of girls say size matter. What's your thought? And she goes, I think nine is good. And I said, what? You think nine is good? Could you elaborate? What the fuck? You do know. You've seen my penis. Why would you now choose to tell me that? I don't know if that's like a, a power play or what, but she's like, I think nine is good. The number that she chose for like the ideal dick was nine. And I was like, you realize I would have to grow like two and a half inches to get to that, right? That's huge. That's, that's way bigger than me. That's some bullshit. You know what? That would be like me dating a girl or, you know, starting to date a girl who has A boobs and her going, well, what size boobs do you think is the best? And me going, I think double D is good. And then she's sitting there with her A's like, what the fuck is that? And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's exactly how it was for me. I was like, awkward. I'm just going to leave the room now. Nine is good, huh? Bye. Hey, girl, you like big dicks? Yeah. Oh, damn. That's me. Story of my life. I don't get it, though. I really don't get it when gay guys talk about how they want huge cocks. I worked with this guy named Josh. Giant fag. Super gay and an asshole. He was just a jerk to everybody. And it was so weird having a super gay, prissy, like, dick boy being mean to everybody. Because we all could have kicked his ass at any point in time. If we were in the wild, if we were, like, not a social or a civilized society, if this was like fucking 500 years ago and he was walking around going, hurry up, work faster, you guys suck, you're so bad at this, that guy would have got his fucking ass kicked. He would have got his fucking ass raped, which he probably would have liked, and we would have eaten him, cannibal style. Nowadays, though, you can't just beat up your bosses and coworkers, no matter how much of a dick they are or how much of a fag, but that's just how it is. One time, uh, I, I was there for like six, seven months at Walmart, and he was my superior, technically speaking, you know, as far as the uh, hierarchy of, of job positions goes, he was a manager, I was just a person. Well, anyway, a couple came in and they asked me about an air mattress. 
they wanted me to check in the back to see if we had any extra in stock because oftentimes whether you're at a gas station or a store there are things in the back that just simply haven't been brought out yet it happens all the time you can go hey this is empty on the shelf can you check to see if there's any of this in the back sure you go in the back you look up the number it's either there or it's not well anyway when I was uh, working uh, whatever night shift I think it was like the night before Black Friday when I was there and this couple came in and she goes uh, the lady said hey uh, can you check in the back to see if this mattress is back there we want this particular air mattress I said sure it gives me an excuse to go for a little walk kill a few minutes I don't mind taking a break from stocking these bullshit shelves so I go back there and I, the first person I run into is Josh and he's our supervisor essentially manager call it what you will and I said Josh there is a couple out there they are requesting me to look in the back for this particular air mattress here's the number that you need uh, could you help me because I don't know where it is back here I was relatively new at the time and he said go back out there and tell them that we don't have it and I said well um, you know I haven't even checked we could very well have it it had happened several times since I had been there that we check in the back and it turns out we do have it he goes are you dumb do I have to repeat myself I'll do this myself and he started walking like he was gonna go tell them we don't have it and I was just standing there and I was like what the fuck I remember being so angry and I don't get angry I I'm just you know I kinda brush everything off like I kinda treat life itself like it's a joke because it is it's just a giant joke to me but at that point in time I, I for some reason he got under my skin I took it personal and I wanted to just beat his ass right there and in any other situation other than him being my boss at work that's probably what would have happened because no dude who takes dick in his ass and goes oh I fucking love cocks in my ass and he was a self-proclaimed size queen he he was very open about how he loved huge dicks the bigger the better and I was like this guy is talking down to me this guy who sucks wieners and gropes balls is calling me dumb and I was just trying to do my job he's like I'll go tell them I'm like jeez go tell them that you deep-throated a cock last night too fag yeah I got really angry and it really doesn't make sense how gay dudes want huge dicks sorry about that tangent there I just remembered that when I think of gay I think of well I think of a lot of guys but I think of him and he got really douchey anyway he ended up getting fired for getting into like arguments with higher-ups and customers and stuff because he was a sassy sized queen super <coughs> moving on my dad told me that he did not go to his 10-year class reunion but he did go to his 20-year class reunion he said he opted out of going to his 10-year class reunion because why bother nothing changes in 10 years when you're 18 and you're 28 that's the same those things are the same to him and I explained to him that well the reason I didn't go to my 10-year class reunion is because my back surgery was scheduled the day before the reunion and uh, there was really no way to to go Oh, I can put off my back surgery so I just I didn't go because I was actually laid up quite heavily on painkillers and stuff after my back surgery so I didn't go but anyway uh, I probably would have gone I don't know I mean there's there's more people that I would enjoy reminiscing and catching up and seeing and visiting than there are that aren't even though there was a few people in high school that 
I really didn't get along with too well, I would just avoid them, probably. Or maybe not, I don't know, maybe give them a big old hug and, and let them know that I'll dexter the fuck out of them if they don't change their douchey ways. I don't know. Well, anyway, I told my dad that a lot changes in 10 years. Maybe not in the 70s and 80s, you know, what changes other than a, a few bands of, a few hair bands. Not a lot changes, right? But you cannot see somebody for a year or two nowadays. And then if you all of a sudden catch up with them, their whole life has changed. They either quit doing drugs or they started doing drugs. They started a business. They got married. They had children. Fucking everything can change in like two years nowadays. Life is so fast-paced and so fast-moving. But for him, you know, back then, I guess technology wasn't really flowing like it is now and it wasn't social media. It was like, eh, I mean, they probably got jobs. They probably got fucking married. I don't know. Not a lot changed. So that's why he went to his 20 year. And I was thinking if, if I don't go to my 10 year, but I do go to my 20 year, that's going to be like meeting new people. That's not people I went to high school with anymore. That's fucking new people. 20 years. They weren't even 20 years old when they graduated. Say you're 18, 17 when you graduate, and then you go to a 20-year class reunion, more time has passed after the graduation than their entire life's existence was up until graduation. And then I'm supposed to go, oh, things have changed. No shit! This is a brand new person. Three or four times over, your cells have replaced themselves, and you've probably been married and divorced, and you fucking have a business now, and that's all at 10 years. 20 years? Fuck! I don't know. I'm pretty sure a lot changes in that amount of time. So when I go to the 20, because I didn't go to the 10, I'm going to see people that I haven't seen in 20 years. And I'm going to be like, bruh, who are you? You know, we used to play football together. We did? I don't know, man. I don't really remember that. I recognize your name, though. How's it going? <coughs> Excuse me. We have five minutes until I'm going to wrap this bitch up. I'm stealing this sort of riff from Michael Shermer. Michael Shermer is a professional skeptic, and it's, it's short, but it's sweet, and it's food for thought. Think about it. Cells are not just wet, mushy stuff. They are technically machines, and they function like machines. There's osmosis, there's letting things in, there's pushing things out. Sorry, I was <laughs> almost dropped my phone there. Well, anyway, since cells are organic, we consider them to be life and not machines. You know what I mean? But really what they are is machines. Just take away the organic, the squishy matter, the, the wetness of a cell, and what you have is a fully functioning machine. And we have millions of those. Billions of those. We are comprised of these little machines. These little machines do jobs and their job is to regulate the body, whether it's white blood cells, red blood cells, uh, adipose, which is just a fancy word for fat cells. They all have their jobs. So if you think about it, we are just fucking organic machines. Take away the organic. We are machines. Our biology, our anatomy, our physiology functions very much so like a machine. And that was interesting to me because I had never really thought about it that way. When I think of humans and cells and tissues and organs and organisms, I think of 
like like a meat bag with a consciousness. I don't think of it as we're machines, but the more that technology progresses and the more the more organs and things that we are able to replace with actual machines, non-organic material, like when you get uh, bones uh, rods put in or staples or plates, or when you have stints put in for to help your heart, uh, fake uh, whatever tubes, and we are becoming more and more like cyborgs, like androids, like part machine, part human, when all along we already were machines. But these new artificial things are going to be able to function much better, much more efficiently, and last longer than our natural organs do. And if you allow for any rate of improvement on this idea, the idea that we can replace a valve in your heart, if it's bad, with one that will never fail, with the idea that we can get these prosthetics that you can control with your mind. If you have no arm, they can hook up some fucking thing to you. It's like a bionic arm that reads your brain waves and you can treat it like a normal arm. You can pick things up, press buttons, yada yada. Well, if you uh, allow for any rate of improvement, say like 0.5%, which is very small, if you allow for that much improvement, Imagine what will happen in like a thousand years, a hundred years, five hundred years. How crazy the human anatomy will be because it won't be fully human anymore. Our life expectancy will go up and at the current rate of population increase, what does that mean for the earth? Can we even sustain that amount of, of you know, organisms? Right now we're already fishing out the seas at 400% of the rate that they are replenishing themselves and so they reckon it's a very redneck, hick-ass term for such a scientific thought. They reckon that in 20 years, there ain't going to be shit in the oceans between the pollution and the overfishing, which is interesting. That's one giant food source. And then even with factory farming, it's tough to keep up with how many fucking fat asses like myself love to eat burgers and steaks, and I think factory farming is terrible. I wish there was a way around it. Essentially... How can we have a future is the idea that starts off talking about cells. And we could go in more into depth with it on, on a quadcast, I think, and I think that's what I'll do is I'll share that with the guys. But if you start with just t talking about cells and then you think about how cells replace themselves and then you think about uh, what's bigger than a cell, a tissue. Cells compose, uh, the, uh, tissues are composed of cells. Enough tissues and you get an organ. Enough organs and you get an organism. Okay, and then you move on up and then you think about how we can replace these things so that they last longer. They have more longevity. And then you go, okay, that means we won't die as quickly. That means the average uh, lifespan will go up. Uh, what does that mean for the future? I just don't see, I don't see this thing being something we can keep going. We can't keep this up forever. The earth can't sustain the amount of damage that we are fucking it up with. And I'm not just talking I'm not just talking about overpopulation. Think of all the plastic that takes what fucking 800 years because it's not biodegradable. It takes 800 years to go away or 1000 years whatever the fuck it is. Our brain can't even wrap our head around it. And we are now uh, accumulating, we are amassing, we are accruing such an amount of this garbage and this poison in the ocean that it's becoming like a gelatinous island, and it's fucking creepy. It's not something we can keep up.
And at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that we've had more natural disasters in the last decade than we have in the prior, the previous 30 or 40 years. That could just be coincidence, but it sure seems not to be all doom and gloomy, but it sure seems like, boy, we in trouble. Huh. I don't know. The future is grim. I'm not uber-religious, but I am fascinated and borderline obsessed with specifically uh, End Times, Armageddon, Tribulation, uh, Book of Daniel, Book of Revelation, Book of Matthew. These There's a lot of uh, chapters and verses that speak very specifically about what's going on. And there's never been a time in history where these linked more uh, ridiculously accurately. How about that for an adverb on an adjective? And we're going to move on to the word of the day and then we'll wrap it up. The word of the day is acumen. A-C-U-M-E-N. Acumen. The ability to make good judgments and quick decisions, typically in a particular domain. If you have a good acumen, you're more likely to succeed in business, succeed in life, succeed socially. If you have a good acumen, that's an interesting word to me. And I heard somebody use it. I think it was on a Joe Rogan podcast. And I was like, wait, wait, pause. I am not going to continue on with this podcast until I know what the fuck he was talking about. He was talking about how this this other fella has a good acumen. And I was like, I want a good acumen. What is it? So I looked it up and I thought, oh, I'm going to work on my acumen. <laughs> I believe another word for that would be social IQ. If you have a good social IQ and you can read a room, you're more likely to be able to to blend in, so to speak. Anyway, uh, we have crossed the one-hour mark. I hope you have enjoyed. This has been volume 22. I appreciate the uh, the likes, the views, the listens, the whatevers. It shows that this isn't just for Shannon and I to talk to ourselves. And the uh, traffic has gone up at a an exponential rate, and that's good. Always good to grow. Now we are bordering the billions or even the trillions of listeners. Yes. You don't have to look it up. I It's science, trillions. We're, we're in the billions. We have like 30 billion people listening actively right now. And, you know, you get up to 100 billion, and then all of a sudden you get to 1,000 billion, and that's a trillion. Kind of like how 1,000 millions is a billion. Well, we're working on it. Once we get up to 1 trillion listeners, we are going to do a live show for y'all. Anyway, uh, have a good day. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Fucking... Allahu Akbar. Bye-bye.